Well, welcome everyone. My name is Matt. I'm the pastor here at Liberty Church. It's great to have you here with us for our Christmas carol service today. I really hope you're enjoying being with us. As Rich said a moment ago, it can be a bit of an unnerving experience if this is the first time that you've walked in here. So we very much hope that you feel at home and relaxed here. And if you have any questions, then we would love to answer them and talk to you a little bit more. Um, if you have been here over the last few weeks um, through this Advent season building up to Christmas, we've been talking about the theme of joy and trying to spend a little bit of time looking at what the Bible says about joy. Uh, if you haven't been here on those Sundays, don't worry. Um, what I say today will still hopefully make some sense to you. And what I want to talk about today is joy, joy at Christmas time, which seems apt as we're just a few days away from Christmas. But I guess perhaps if you have been here the last few weeks, or when you think about the theme of joy or even Christmas itself, you might have one nagging question that comes to mind that you might think, well, how can I have any real and lasting joy when I see so much pain in the world, when I see so much evil all around us? You know, because obviously as we come to this Christmas season, we're also coming to the end of the year. And you look back on... 2019 and you could worry about the climate crisis, you could worry about political turmoil and upheaval, and I'm British so we've, we've nailed that one, okay. You might claim that your country does political turmoil better, but it doesn't, we've got that nailed. You might look around the world and see you know, famine, uh, war. Um, the UN said this week that just this year alone, there are 165 million people who are in aid just this year. Uh, in Yemen, they reckon probably around 100,000 people have been killed in the war there over the last five years, a war that doesn't really feature on our news broadcasts much here in Europe. It might be that you're aware of just even in our own city or even in your own lives, in your own family of pain and difficulty and discomfort. And this year really is, can't come to an end soon enough for you, that might be the way that you feel. And Christmas, how Christmas fits into that, any joy you might experience at Christmas could just be a kind of a, a temporary sort of joy hit. You know, a few days, a few moments where you can switch off from the world where you don't have to see your boss at work, you've got no 
essay that needs to get written that you can just have a day or two where you can just experience some joy. Although for many people, even Christmas itself perhaps might be the, the most difficult, painful time of the year. I've been reading through the, uh, the Narnia story with one of my daughters, this series of books written by C.S. Lewis. And we're reading through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which you may have read or you may have seen the movie. And when Lucy, who's um, one of, I think she's the youngest in the family, when she first time she goes through this, this cupboard in this old house and enters into this magical new world, and she meets Mr. Tumnus. And uh, Mr. Tumnus is trying to explain the situation in Narnia that although it might look beautiful and pretty with this kind of winter wonderland and snow everywhere, that there's the white witch is in charge, that evil has a hold on that land. And how he explains this to Lucy, Mr. Tumnus says, here in Narnia, it's always winter and never Christmas. <laughs> that sometimes can be how it feels to us. And you might think maybe if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You might think that for Christians, the Christmas story is, is just an, uh, an escape from reality. You know, just a nice fanciful idea and it's pleasant and it's happy and it's fun and it's joyful. An opportunity just to get some distraction from the rest of life and use Christmas as a bit of a way out. A few weeks ago, I was at one of the, uh, 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 with some uh, status elders and a few university students with a small group of us explaining to them the Christian story. None of them were believers in Jesus. And they all wanted to ask questions about what Christmas is. And I was, we had some food together, we ate some pumpkin soup, and then we sat down and looked at what the Christmas story meant. And at the end of the evening, one of these young people said to us, he said, well, I'm an atheist. But he said, the only people I've met who seemed as happy as you were high. <laughs> now, I don't know what they put in the pumpkin soup. Okay, I didn't make that. But I guess if... Christianity is a kind of, if Christmas is a sort of escape from reality, then the Christmas story could be our kind of class A drug. You know, it just helps us to lift out from the world. But the thing is, if the Christmas story, as wonderful as it is, if it doesn't deal with the problem of evil, then why bother? You know, we could be the happiest people in the world, but if we're just pretending that there isn't evil in the world, even in our own lives, even in our own hearts, then we're just living in this fictional fantasy. We might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die a philosophy of life that many people share in this city. 
And those words are from the Bible, from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament in the Bible. You know, if, that's, if the Christmas story doesn't deal with the pain of life and the evil of life, then perhaps we should just forget it all and eat and drink and enjoy Christmas while it lasts. But I guess the question is, is there, is there a deeper, lasting joy that can be found? Something that transcends this life that we live. Something that really just changes everything for us. And in this Christmas story, can we find that kind of joy? So that's what we're going to look at over the next few minutes. We're going to look at three reasons that we can find real, lasting, deep joy in this story. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that, that you're alive, that as a believer in you, I don't worship a distant, dead, idol or figure, an ancient myth or story, but one who's alive today, who as we were reading in that passage, your name is Emmanuel, God with us. And we can rejoice and celebrate in the fact that we can know you, and not just a distant knowledge, but we can know you near and close in our hearts. And I pray you'd make that wonderful truth come alive for all of us this morning. Amen. Amen. We were just reading, Sasha was reading from the book of Matthew, which is one of the four what are called gospel accounts in the New Testament in the Bible. And essentially they're kind of eyewitness accounts, people who were at the scene at the time who give us a report, like a news reporter, live from the scene telling us of what's going on. And we've been reading from the, st the story that Matthew tells of Jesus, Jesus' birth. And one thing you will have noticed is that what happens is Jesus enters into the evil reality of the world. That Jesus is born in the house of a, of a peasant family. He wasn't born into a a wonderful hospital. He wasn't born into a, some kind of mansion, a king's palace, but he was born in the most humble of circumstances, surrounded by peasants. And the first people that, that come to see this new baby, as the account in the Gospel of Luke tells us, are shepherds. Again, shepherds are, even back then, a few thousand years ago, would, be, would have probably the, the same social status as shepherds today, as not very high. They were peasants, poor people. And these are the first people that come to visit. And even this Lord and Savior, this Prince of Peace, this King of Kings, arrives as 
a baby. Think about, I don't know if you've ever held uh, a newborn baby in your arms. You're so fragile, so completely helpless. And it, you feel like the first time, it's like you're, you're holding kind of some kind of ticking nuclear weapon. You know, you think, I don't want to drop this because who knows what would happen. And then when you have your own child, and the, it is kind of nuclear because <laughs> smells and things come out, which I think is what nuclear waste smells like. But you get, Jesus arrives in the most fragile, weak, and human way. Not as kind of this spirit out of heaven. Not as this kind of magical character. He doesn't arrive kind of on a horse, enthroned in power. He arrives as a baby, frail, helpless, fragile. And Jesus is straight away as a young child is forced to flee. A bit like refugees around the world have to flee today. That there's this a character we don't talk about much in the Christmas story, King Herod, who uh, is, a, is a tyrant. He's a very evil man, a murderous ruler. I was reading a, a, a book about the city of Jerusalem earlier this year, written by a contemporary historian. And he tells the story of Herod's life and paints this picture of a murderous man who would do whatever it took to maintain his power. He says about him that power always came first. This craving would poison every relationship he ever had. And it included Herod, I think he had four wives, and at least one of them he murdered. And he also murdered her two sons, and her mother, and her brother, and her grandfather. He just wiped out the whole family because he felt threatened by them. Anybody that, that caused him any sort of threat, he just wiped them out, he destroyed them. And that's what happens when this baby Jesus arrives. He hears this rumor from these wise men who've come from the east. This rumor that there might be a, a Messiah, a savior on the scene and he's terrified that he might lose his grip on power. So he orders for this baby to somehow, he wants to find it so he can destroy the baby Jesus. And at this time, historians think that he was probably quite, quite ill. He was probably on his deathbed, but even in his last moments, he was still terrified of losing his grip on, grip on power. So he orders what the Bible calls the slaughter of the innocents for all these firstborn babies in Bethlehem to be murdered so he can somehow wipe out this baby king that's arrived. And in Jesus, what we find is, is a, a God who he welcomes the peasants and the lowly 
the outcasts, the refugees, the lost, those who have been betrayed and hunted down. And he, he knows what it's like to have experienced those things, to have been born into a world where there was such evil coursing around him. He knew what that was like. And more than just, he's not just a God who welcomes them, but he's a God who, he, he, he takes on what is ours. He puts on our humanity. It's the wonder of what we've been singing about, what uh, we would call the, the incarnation, that God became one of us. Incarnation comes from the word carne, as in chili con carne, <laughs> which means, you know, meat, means flesh. God became flesh, skin and bone. He became one of us. Became this Emmanuel, this God with us. Jesus enters into our evil reality. But he doesn't just enter in. Jesus comes to transform evil into joy. That's what Jesus does. Because if, if all Jesus did was to step into our reality to be, to be a comfort for us, so he could say, well, I know how you feel. I've, I've been there. He wouldn't be much more than a you know, very experienced, a very famous counselor. You know. And he is a counselor, but that would be all that he was if that's all that the Christmas story was about, of Jesus just arriving and being one of us. But we see some hints in this story that Matthew tells of how what Jesus does is he doesn't, he can't just empathize and sympathize with what we go through in the world, but he actually steps right into evil and he transforms it to bring joy, to bring joy. Because what this writer, Matthew, is doing is he's reminding his readers, he would have written this account for probably his Jewish friends and the people that he grew up with, the people that he knew, to try and convince them of this story. And he's writing to people who would have known the, what we would call the Old Testament in the Bible. And he's writing them to, to try and remind them of another story in the Bible, the story of a man called Moses, who Moses, just like Jesus, was born under a, an evil king. Now this time it wasn't King Herod, it was the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And Moses too has to be hidden away. His mother puts him into this basket and sends him down the river to escape. And what Pharaoh does is the same as what Herod does. He orders the murder of all the firstborn children to try and hunt him down. There's a parallel between these stories that the writer's trying to show us. And ultimately, if we finish the story of what happens with Moses, he doesn't just go down the river in the basket and escape. 
But he ends up, the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt under this evil king, Pharaoh. And Moses ends up leading them out, leading them to freedom. This wonderful story of redemption and deliverance. And that's what Matthew is trying to tell us in this Christmas story. There's a hint here that Jesus didn't just come and step down into reality, but he came down to perform a rescue, to perform a deliverance, a salvation. And in the midst even of evil, God is working out his rescue plan. That's what God does. And even in this story, there's another hint that in the horrific slaughter of the innocents, what it does is, whereas before he's been taking us back to the story of Moses, now Matthew takes us forward to the story of what will happen with, with Jesus. Because both at the beginning of Matthew's gospel story, at the beginning and at the end, you see evil take place. But at the start of the story, Jesus escapes to Egypt with his family. But at the end of the story, Jesus enters right into it. Jesus gives his life. At the start of the story, you get this slaughter of the innocents. And at the end, you get the innocent one who is slaughtered. But this time, for us. There's another character in the Bible who also ended up, just like Moses, just like Jesus, who ended up having to escape to, to Egypt. A man called Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, was thrown into a pit, left to die. Some slave traders found him and took him off to Egypt. And at, back, at the very end of his life, Joseph then meets his brothers who have betrayed him. And he says this fascinating thing to them. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. And he's able to forgive his brothers and reconcile their relationship. It's a beautiful story. But there's a point that he's making here is that that sometimes we can see evil around us, but God can take that and turn it into good. That's That's what God does. He takes... He steps right down into the reality of evil and brings somehow in ways we can't quite comprehend or imagine. He brings, he brings good out of it. Because the Bible says that God is an expert at... He takes ashes and turns them into beauty. He takes mourning and grief and turns it into gladness and joy 
and dancing. And there, there isn't, there's no evil so great that God can't bring from it righteousness and joy. When I was at this event a few weeks ago where we had our pumpkin soup, I met a man. I was uh, a couple of these young uh, people that were there were, um, were not European and spoke only Arabic. So a man there who was translating for me into Arabic. And he was called Joseph. And he was a Palestinian from Bethlehem. And he was very clear he wasn't a carpenter. He was a hairdresser. <laughs> so I got talking to him, and I wanted to find out his story. What's a Palestinian from Bethlehem called Joseph? What's he doing in Amsterdam? And he said, well, I've been living here for 40 years. That I had to leave Palestine as a young boy. And I said, well, that's, you know, would you, would you ever want to go back to your hometown? He said, oh, I'd love to. And he's, you know, he's, he's getting older now, and that's, looks, as every year goes on, looks less and less likely that that'll be able to happen. And, uh, you know, he, was, he has to walk, a, I guess, probably a regular journey of having to grieve what he's left behind, even 40 years ago. But then I asked him a few more questions about his life, and he was able to tell me just wonderful stories about how here in Amsterdam, God has rebuilt his life. And although he still misses home, he's lived a wonderful, rich life here in this city. And God has used him mightily to bless and serve many other people. And he's a wonderful man of God. And that's what Jesus can do out of even the worst of circumstances. He can transform them to bring joy. Because ultimately that's what Jesus does at the end of his story. That even, even out of the horrible evil of death itself, Jesus in his resurrection brings, brings life. There's another story in the Bible of where later in, in the book of John, later on in Jesus' life, that a friend of his called Lazarus tragically dies. And Jesus arrives a bit late to the scene. Lazarus has already been dead for a few days. And he's met by another friend of his called Martha. And Martha asks Jesus the question that we probably often all want to ask Jesus And she says to him, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd been here two days ago when he was ill, you're Jesus, you would have been able to save him. Why weren't you here? And I guess that's often the, the question that we ask when we're confronted by evil. Where's God? You know, why in this moment were you not here? And it's perhaps one of the most profound stories in the Bible because 
You know, first of all, Jesus just weeps and cries with his friends. But then he does what only Jesus can do, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He speaks to this dead body that's been in a tomb for three days and calls it back into life. And it's a, a picture of what will happen with Jesus' own life that it looks like at the end of the story that, that evil is won. That at the cross, most of Jesus' friends and family have deserted him. There's just a few stragglers left behind. Whereas a week before Easter Sunday, the crowds are welcomed into the city. A week later, no one's left. And he's dying on a cross. And it looks like the end looks like evil has won. And yet, three days later, Jesus rises again from the dead. That's the wonderful mystery and majesty of this Christmas story that starts at Christmas and finishes at Easter. Jesus died and rose again to bring us life and joy. Because what Jesus does is he takes this winter, just like in, as Mr. Tumnus said to Lucy, it's always winter, never Christmas. Jesus takes winter and breathes, in a sense, Christmas into it. And that's how the line, the witch in the wardrobe ends, is, is, well, Father Christmas actually appears, and he gives them all weapons. But then ultimately, it's not about Father Christmas. Aslan appears and breathes life into Narnia, and the winter fades away, and the, the white witch is defeated. And in a way, if you think about how the Bible describes this picture that Jesus tries to paint of what heaven will be like. It's just a bit like a forever Christmas. It's feasting. It's joy. It's all the best bits of Christmas rolled into eternity forever. And ultimately, that's what Jesus does. He takes the winter, you know, the cold long, grey Amsterdam winter days, and he breathes life. He breathes joy. That Jesus was led into Egypt by his family to fulfill what the prophet wrote in the book of Hosea, that when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. In the same way that God called his people out of Egypt, delivered them through the Red Sea. That he's called Jesus out of Israel to deliver us, to take us and lead us to a new home with him. And this is, that's really why Christians have joy. <laughs> It's not because Jesus has come and just made everything perfect. You know, if, if you've just walked in here today and you've met this crazy bunch of Christians, that we all have our ups and downs. 
pains and our hardships, our joys, our happiness, our suffering. Jesus isn't, he's not Father Christmas. He's not a magic genie. He doesn't just come and make everything perfect. But he's also not just a kind of a placebo, not just a kind of a fanciful idea. What Jesus does is he comes and brings us hope, a peace that transcends all understanding. He gives us forgiveness that we know that not just the evil around us is defeated, but the evil in our own hearts has been dealt with on the cross. We can know his forgiveness, his grace, his joy, his delight. And we can know that we've got an eternity laid aside with him forever. Let me pray, and then the band are going to lead us in some more, some more carols. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this Christmas story that you entered into the, the evil reality of, of our broken world. But you came to make all things new. You came to bring life. You came to transform evil into joy. And we thank you that all our questions, all our queries, all our pain, they can all find their answer in you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and make this wonderful truth alive in our hearts. You'd help us to know your joy. That you'd help us to be those that live lives wanting to bring that joy to other people. Wanting to see our friends, our family, this city, this broken world. We thank you that you, you use us as well to bring your joy. We pray you'd help us to be a church, a community in this city that love this city, that love each other and love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are and for all you've done for us. Amen.